As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. So yes, I was out in Los Angeles for... Sunday's game, a loss to the Rams, 28-20. to The score, not really an indication of, of the competitive level of the game. Rams up 28-7. Washington comes back with two touchdowns after inserting Jacoby Brissett into the game for, Sam, for a healthy Sam Howell. I'll explain what was going on there. And also, I'm going to talk, I talked a lot of, sort of bigger picture stuff about this organization from what are some of the next steps that Josh Harris needs to consider? Uh, what do we think about where Sam Howell is right now and how the developments this past week in, in D.C. with regards to the Wizards and Capitals uh, organizations apparently headed to moving to Virginia. What does that mean for the commanders? Discuss that and more with our pal Jerry Brewer, Washington Post columnist, who was at SoFi with me today. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. Also, take a look at The Athletic story up today, or by the time you hear this, uh, about uh, how Josh Harris has been going on tours uh, with his team all year. In theory, that's a lot about the stadium's Stuff, but to me, it's also got to be about figuring out what is this team's plan uh, to to fix the football side of things moving forward. Because for too much of this for, of this Ron Rivera era, the plan just did not really seem to make a ton of sense. All right, so we'll get to uh, my conversation with Jerry in a moment. We didn't talk a ton about the game specifically, but I'll, I'll do that a little bit here right now. Um, <clears throat> You know, the offense has been in a slump the last few weeks. After that shootout in Seattle, um, Washington had a total of 19 points against the Giants. Then the two games leading into this one, they scored a combined 25 points. And here they had seven points into the fourth quarter when Washington decided to bring in Jacoby Brissett for Sam Howe. He proceeded to throw... Uh, two touchdown passes. He got hit Terry McLaurin on on some deep shots. Found 
uh, found McLaurin for one touchdown, and he found Curtis Samuel for a touchdown as well. Two touchdown day for Samuel. But overall, the offense was, you know, not terribly impressive. No Brian Robinson today out with a hamstring. As for the quarterback part, right? So we asked Rivera, hey, what's going on here? Why did you why did you do that? We have not seen Sam Howell get pulled really in any game this year. Um, for the most part, Jacoby Brissett had not even attempted a pass before this game. Rivera said that he was concerned. He talked about protecting Howell, that he was concerned about where, what might happen, and he didn't want to see anything crazy happen, he said, um, with the Rams just coming hard for uh, him up 28-7. to seven. I think you could look at that comment in two ways. You can look at it as, hey, Sam Howell's been getting hit all year. We don't want that to happen any further. Or you can look at it, which, by the way, doesn't really make a ton of sense in this game. The Rams, you know, they put some pressure on Howell. And they were uh, right at him as he threw across his body on one throw that turned into an interception. And that was right before the benching. But this was also the quarterback who had, in the previous three games, thrown a pick six. I partly think Rivera was saying, hey, for everybody's sake, let's not have Sam possibly throw a pick six, um, which... If it's either way, it's not a great scenario. Either the quarterback might be kind of getting a little bit anxious in the pocket considering all the hits he's taken, or, um, you know, he may end up throwing a pick six. It's not a great, um, it's not great either either way. But all that said, Rivera said Howe remains the starter. Washington is at the New York Jets next week in their final road game of the season. And by the way, should mention, I say final, because, well, it's the final one of the regular season, and they were officially eliminated from the playoffs today, uh, now at 4-10 with three games remaining. So Rivera says Hal is still a starter. Uh, well, look, at this point in the season, I think that's a completely reasonable view, and frankly, it's a reasonable view, reasonable view overall. Rivera has said for weeks now that the season is about developing Sam Howell, and I think that remains the case. I was making the argument several weeks ago before the trade deadline that Washington should look at, forget ask, waiting for people to call, check around and say, hey, what are you willing to give us for Jacoby Brissett? Because while, yes, of course, Sam Howell could have gotten hurt, and if he did, you would have had Brissett to come in, and you know they were at one point, uh, you know, what, four and five? So, you know, it's not like they've been a miserable record-wise from the start of the year. But that said, Brissett has value. He's not likely to be back on this team next year as a free agent. So um, you could have gotten something for him. And anyway, the point is that he showed today that he can play. And we know I mean, we know that, but it was just a reminder. And I'm sure people will be saying, well, wait, how come if, if, if Jacoby Brissett could do this quickly? I mean, it kind of shows that some of what the enemy is looking for is perhaps there, but Sam Howell is struggling to generate the plays down the field. Sam Howell seems to struggle throwing with anticipation, um, and that may explain why today was Terry McLaurin's first 100-yard game of the year, um, because this is the guy that Taylor Heineke consistently would throw the ball to down the field um, who would make contested catches, but that has not seemingly had the same opportunities this year. Um, does that mean, you know, 
should if that's the case, is that say what does that say about Bianami's offense, or what does it say about Brissett, or what does it say about Hal? Uh, I think these are a lot of things that I'm sure uh, Sports Talk Radio and others will delve into this week. I mean, I think my basic thought is um, I don't so much care about this season. You know, it, it was reasonable from the jump to think that going with Jacoby Brissett would give you the better opportunity to at least be 500, and then you see what happens from there. But the whole point of Sam Howell is to get out of that middle. I've been saying all along, whatever happens, go with Sam Howe because you either, um, well, you know, he either becomes a legit quarterback and you have a guy, or the team falls apart and you know, and you get out of the middle, i.e. you get a high draft pick. Clearly, it looks like things are going in the latter direction. Um, and to the point now where we, I think we're all going to, you know, anybody who's still been holding out hope that Sam Howe is definitively the guy, hopefully understands that that's just not the case. Maybe the guy, definitively the guy, no. That's, that's not what we're seeing. And, you know, like I said, depending how you want to interpret Rivera's comments, it may be a little bit of an indication that even Rivera has some questions um, and didn't want to, uh, you know, see Sam Howell either lose some more confidence or make another uh, tough uh, interception throw that led, uh, potentially leads to a, another pick six. So in any event... Hal expected to start next week. Brissett's there as the backup. I, I I would hope that Hal's allowed to play through his mistakes and all that. And, you know, for the most part, that has been the case this year. But Brissett came in, quickly got Washington a couple of uh, touchdowns. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason you have good backups. But you got to understand what team you are and whether it matters if your team has a good backup or not, it obviously has not been a factor this year for Washington because of, I don't mean because Hal hasn't been hurt. I just mean because of the record and situation. Um, I mentioned Terry McLaurin over 140 yards, his first 100 yard pat, uh, receiving game since last year. Uh, he certainly had a big game, got tackled at the one, or he could have had uh, after one catch, or he could have had two touchdowns. Um, <clears throat> Jahan Dotson, another very, quiet game. Only one target caught the pass for 12 yards. Um, Tress Way got hurt in this game for a little bit. Uh, we'll get to Ch- Cameron Cheeseman in a moment because uh, another tough day for the long snapper and that led to Tress Way getting checked out for a back injury and a possible concussion and you know started joking, hey, remember when, when John Dodson um, was taking, was fielding snaps back in uh, practice of several weeks back, you know, and I, I tweeted out a, a copy of that video that, that was put up online, and I said this might be the only way he touches the ball today. Um, it almost was uh, in terms of, you know, again, only the one catch. You know, it, it, it's just not a team that has found ways to consistently get their three receivers uh, going. Uh, Dotson particularly has had troubles. Um what else? Um, you know, again, oh, the offensive line, you know, I think was okay for the most part today. But two injuries in the second half, left tackle Charles Leno and center Tyler Larson um, forced some shuffling there. Uh, it sounded, if I interpreted Rivera correctly, that Tyler Larson, not necessarily a big deal, just with some soreness. He has been skipping some recent practices um, as a way to kind of get through the week. But Charles Leno had a calf issue, and it sounded as if Rivera 
was saying that they will that will need to be evaluated before any further discussion could occur. Obviously, um, this is a tough week to have any kind of limitations with who you can use on the offensive line going up against the Jets, then the 49ers, then the Cowboys. But we will see where Washington goes uh, with that. Um, I mentioned Cameron Cheeseman. You know, look, he's had a difficult season, as we know. Today only added to that in a significant way. Several uh, poor snaps. He had one with Trent with Tress way back as a, in, as a, the punter. He had one that never got off the ground. He just dribbled back to um, to way, and then and he couldn't feel it cleanly right off the ground, and that led to uh, Tressway getting dogpiled a bit. Uh, he was on the ground for uh, a, a extra time. Again, was getting checked out, but ultimately stayed in the game as a holder. And the punter, they even had Joey Sly attempting to practice as uh, the practice punt if need be. Uh, Rivera said after the game that what Cheeseman did was, you know, his showing was unacceptable and they will have to evaluate this. Cheeseman even afterwards, you know, seemed to acknowledge that, hey, it could be, this could be it for him. So we'll see what they do. It won't surprise me at all if they do, in fact, um, at, you know, at a minimum bring in some extra long snappers, but at a maximum, maybe they just decide we need to make a change. Um, you know, what could that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean releasing Cheeseman. Um, you know, the fact that he was a draft pick of a draft pick is one thing that they traded up for him is another is quite, uh, quite bizarre. And, you know, I, I wrote a, that was part of what I was writing today. It's not, you know, whatever plan they come up with here. It has to have the mentality that says you don't trade up for a long snapper. You, you you covet these picks and you recognize where are the valuable positions. And not that long snapper isn't important. It's to say you can find a long snapper without having to trade up. Even drafting one is not the norm, but whatever. So we'll see what they do there. Um, lastly, on defense, the Rams had 445 yards net yards. Now, what? Uh, and Cooper Cup had a 62-yard touchdown on yet another uh, miscommunication in the secondary. Benjamin St. Juice, Cameron Curl were both on that side. Were Cup, were Cup and another receiver were lined up. Um, <clears throat> it looked like St. Juice took ultimately took the inside receiver. Cameron Curl was sort of on the outside with Cup, but then just kind of let him go, and he looked for something sh- shorter inside. Instead, Cup just ran up the field nobody around him for another long touchdown again this has just been an you know over and over and over again they're letting up these kinds of big plays um they did get more production up front deron Payne had two sacks uh you know they um you know i i think the defense was okay they they had two turnovers um but ultimately you know the Rams did what they wanted to do. I don't think this was the, the cleanest performance from the Rams offense, but it was never really in doubt, just like the game uh, wasn't really either. So, uh, you know, there's more to discuss going forward here, of course, about what to make of um, possible changes coming. I, you know, I think we can, you know, we're all pretty comfortable in saying that Ron Rivera is uh, expected to be removed from his duties at the end of the year and how, uh, what follows from there is what's to be 
determine, but you would imagine probably a fairly in-depth cleaning of the house um, there. And I think we need, you know, obviously we've been talking about that already, but I think now it's even more pertinent to get to look forward as to what's going to happen down the stretch here. So we'll do that in the coming days, both here on the podcast and on the athletic. But for now, let's do this. Uh, Jerry Brewer and I spoke for about a half an hour after the game. Um, want to talk, want to share that conversation. Always fun talking with Jerry, who is, you know, on top of what is going on with this team, as well as the local NBA team. And we did discuss, as I said, the stadium situation involving the Wizards caps and how that affects the commanders. So let's get to all that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Um, joining me, uh, Jerry Brewer with the Washington Post, who um, pleasure to see him. Unfortunately, uh, when we see him, it's not often in good times for, for the commanders. Have you figured out like what your record is over the last few years when you've come out to see them, or is that too grim? But maybe they've been to have wins. I don't know. It's it's way too grim. Although they did win a, a game in Green Bay. That is that was, you were on that one? Yes. All right. Well, look. I mean, take I think that might be the only one. Well, that's the thing, I guess. Right. The last three years, they were essentially a roughly 500 team. This year, getting to five wins feels like it's going to be um, a stretch. The score here, 28-20, was definitely a closer than the score suggests. Or sorry, it wasn't as close as the score suggests uh, for gaffes all over the place. But rather than talking a lot about the game itself, I just wanted to do a sort of an overview. As you've been watching this team, paying attention to this team, seeing them in person here, what did this game say to you about kind of where they are relative to, you know, the hopes and dreams that kind of everybody has? Man, the last game I covered was in Seattle. And I, I thought that was a great game. I still felt like it's going to be ending for them, but I looked at it and I, and I saw that that was in the middle of that stretch when Sam Howell was playing really well. Three straight 300-yard performances in Seattle. It was three touchdowns, no interceptions, 312 yards. And the dream was, well, we know that they need to move on in the front office and um, on the sidelines coaching, but maybe Rivera and the staff has left them with the quarterback who, well, I think there's a ceiling on how good Sam Howell can be. Maybe he's someone that you could build around and build a playoff team. I was starting to think that. Uh, seeing his regression the last couple weeks, and, and this very clearly his worst game as a starter, uh, that that's troubling. Um, I look at them and I see a team that just doesn't do anything well. <laughs> I mean, get, getting gashed for 196 yards, uh, when you've got one of the most talented uh, bookend defensive tackles in the league is just kind of unacceptable. The linebacking play is absent. Uh, um, we know the issues that they have in the secondary, and uh, those are quite clear. I just I look and I fail to identify anything that this team does, and you say that's well above average, <laughs> and maybe the thing you do best is punt. And then... The daggone long snapper got the punter killed almost today. <laughs> yeah. So poor Tressway. Um, you're, you're, you're right, though. I mean, like, 
at the end of the day, whenever you talk, whatever sports you're talking about, if it's baseball and you're talking about a team that's got, you know, great left-handed hitters and a strong bullpen, or if it's an NBA team that's got that's that's great at three-point shooting, uh, or an NFL team like you know to to use. Uh, you know, so, some of them have great defense or have dynamic receivers, what have you. Washington is kind of nowhere. I mean, you could you could have said the defensive line before the trades, but even that was only, eventually they were going to have to break up because you couldn't realistically keep them all. The receivers, Terry McLaurin, had his first 100-yard game of the season today, and Curtis Samuel had a strong production. But in general, yeah, it hasn't really been a strength, and I think this is like sort of my thing going into the next year. Is like, what is the plan? I need to know what the plan is. The Rams had a plan, the F them picks plan. And forget the fact that they won a Super Bowl. They have been largely a contender this whole time. And now even with this bit of a downturn last year, they only had five wins, they're back in the playoff mix because you kind of they kind of know what they are about. They understand sort of how they're being built and, and where the strengths are. That isn't the case here. And I that I think is so important for them to figure out beyond just the obvious who's gonna coach, the GM, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think people have to I hate to tell them to buckle up for a process. I don't think a process has to be terribly long in the NFL, but it's going to be a process that takes more than 2024 season. What I want to see and, and what I would hope fans would want to see is uh, take this opportunity with a new owner. Get your organization right. Uh, I think people will be looking at, like, who's going to coach the team and can the coach be a savior. They've had big-name coaches here before, that, and Ron is one that – while not as big as some of the other names, like he, he's someone that they just they offered the world to and built this coach-centric model. I want them to build an organization-centric model and for it to be one that, uh, you know, a la the Ravens, you can, you can hire a special teams coordinator like John Harbaugh, who's a great CEO, and the organization is just so strong that he's able to stay in that job for a long time and go through various iterations and various styles. Uh, that's what I think you, you need. you got to get back to the bread and butter. So I'm more focused on who's going to be the executive who runs football operations um, and, and how good is that executive at finding talent. Uh, and I'm not just thinking, uh, Ben, about the talent that in, in terms of, you know, can you find four all pros in the next three drafts or something or, or through trade and free agency. I'm looking at it from like, do you understand when you have talent around you, right? Like, how are your scouts going to be? How are um, your lead executives under you going to be? Um, and then, like, can you find a coach and a young coach, I hope, uh, someone who's more cutting edge, whether it's offense or defensively? Uh, do you have the capability of helping that younger coach find the right coordinators to do what they're going to do? Can you build an organization uh, th that understands how to teach people how to play the game, but then also like there's there's sort of a teaching in in the ways of um, how to build an organization to build a team. Like they, there's a lot that you need there, and um, I don't think people often think about the foundational work and the scaffolding and all these things that uh, need to happen before we start talking about the fancy stuff. But that's what they desperately need. They need someone who can run this organization for 20 years. And even if they make a mistake on a head coach or, or even if they um, have a run that ends after four years that you were hoping to be five or six, 
that you're able to like quickly correct like the Philadelphia Eagles often do and just continue to build windows of contention. Like that's the gold standard to me. Uh, I think you're right. Like in the sense that we talk a lot about everybody wants Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, and, and maybe he becomes a good head coach. We'll see. But, and I understand the appeal. Like you said, you just want a, a younger guy. Somebody who's a little bit of a visionary. Clearly the Lions offenses improved a lot under him. There's also only one of him, and there's not a lot of other notable offensive coordinators like that this cycle. But, okay, that aside. But there is also the culture part, part of it, and I hate that term at this point. We've used it so much here under Rivera. But sort of like we were talking about with like a, with like a John Harbaugh or a Mike Tomlin, or even to some degree I think Sean McVay, who obviously is that offensive-minded guy. But what does it mean to play for this organization? When you Do you understand, if you're a new player, what is the standard that's been set and that you have to match it? What does it mean for front office that, like, hey, it isn't just to say we need a wide receiver. We need a wide receiver who can do the things that Sean McVay does that, that he wants. And they found that with guys like Cooper Cup, not a first-round pick. Nakua, the rookie, not a first-round pick. But clearly, those guys make a lot of sense for this offense. And they build sort of from there. I, I just feel like with Washington, there is no real plan every year it just deviates has deviated to well let's one year we'll try to get Matthew Stafford in a trade we'll try to get Russell Wilson um but now we're just going to go in with a fifth round pick with one career start starting the year you talked about having you know sort of at least a balanced offense with rushing if not maybe even a little run first at times Instead, you get a, a, a coordinator who decides that eh, we're going to be the the, most, the highest volume passing team in the league. Um, you know, you have this defensive line, and maybe you're going to be a little more rugged off of that. And you bring in cornerbacks in successive in in a, in a three year period, William Jackson, now Emmanuel Forbes, who don't seemingly fit what it is you're trying to accomplish. There, the pieces don't match. I just hope that they figure out how to get on the, the same page, whatever that is. Like you said, it's not so much who they hire. It's what is that plan, and that all the pieces need to be in sync. If they can do that, I don't focus on do you win a Super Bowl. I focus on what is the process to get there. And if they have a good process, I think better days will be ahead. If they don't, even if people are blinded by star names, I don't think it's ultimately going to succeed long, to, you know, year over year. And I think that is the, ultimately the goal. Who, who who knew who Brad Holmes was? Really, when when he left in the GM of the Lions, yeah, yeah. left and came to Detroit, or uh, we made fun of Dan Campbell, you know, uh, knee biting fool that he was. Right. And, uh, no one, no one had any idea that he was going to bring in an offensive coordinator who is going to become this trendy guy. Like, so you don't need the shiny things necessarily. Like, I think the the Lions made surprisingly like some really great kind of insidery football decisions that shows that for once that organization actually did their homework and found what fit them and they've they're, they're a team when you look at how they've kind of done things they were terrible in year one then the next year Dan Campbell uh, got them around 500 and they were great and then now they're they're really good like that's probably the timeline that you're looking at you're gonna have to suck it up in 24 you have a chance at it in 25 and 26. You should have a window that's wide open to be a really good team. And maybe if you find a special person, you can reduce that by one year. But ultimately, um, the thing I like about a Detroit, the thing I like about 
the Minnesota Vikings is it's kind of an understanding of, of who they are and what they're trying to do. Everyone can recite it. And even when they make moves that are a little unorthodox, like the Lions um, love of kind of like old school football kind of players in, in the draft, um, you, you, cl- you understand what they're trying to do. And uh, that's what they need to get to. And um, yeah, there has to be just a, uh, a stamp on the organization. And they have to get to the cutting edge of football. That doesn't mean you have to you have to like follow the script of Kyle Shanahan or, or Sean McVay. Maybe there's a new thing that's coming. Uh, and I, but you got to get to that point. And I'm, I still feel hopeful. And that's probably because the ownership group hasn't done anything stupid (laughs) yet. And, uh, they seem to be listening to reason and it doesn't seem like an ownership group that's just gonna, uh, say I'm about to wow you just to try to say that that I want a press conference there seems to be some substance behind it so I'm interested to see what they come up with but the real challenge Ben is going to be sinking these things Uh, because if you don't want to build a coach centric situation you got to go out and you got to get the executive quickly Um, and then in order to get a coach uh, and you know we'll see if they have if they're ready and they have this long strange limbo period that we're all enduring right now looking at these games wondering like what's the what what's the significance these are glorified scrimmages uh and they i guess they just don't want to embarrass ron by firing him although i think (laughs) the way they're playing is pretty damn embarrassing on its own and also like look this is it for ron most likely um you know he's had health concerns 61 years old he could probably get another job but I don't think he's going to be begging anybody for any job and I look at Ron's record and I see a guy I think he's like 102 102 he needs one more win so that he can end his career above 500 like it just it's not it's not significant I think to uh commanders fans because they're going to look at it and say well you were well below 500 for your time with us that's what we care about but I think overall there's a little bit of meaning there and uh, I think one more win would be nice for his morale. But you're also playing the draft pick game, right? Like you're playing that too. And 4-13 and, and 13 is going to be a lot better than 5-12. and 12 If you're I – mean, yeah. you, you could get into the top five or you could wind up around seven. There's a big difference in this draft where you, where you land. Yeah, for sure. And, and obviously, like what is happening right now – look, I'll give the team credit. They were down 28-7. to seven. They battled back. Um to get it within a, essentially a one touchdown uh, game, and you know that was a part because Jacoby Brissett came in for Sam Howell it was not a benching, it was a protection play according to Rivera that he just felt like the Rams were just being up big, were coming at Howell, and he's obviously taking enough hits. He said, "I didn't want to see anything crazy to happen. Uh, I didn't want anything crazy to happen." Is what Ron Rivera said. We're going to take care of him. I, we were pinned back there, and I didn't want anything crazy to happen. Which is the strangest endorsement. Like, you're admitting, like, hey, my quarterback, I sense that he's going to throw another pick here. Um, so he was protecting him from himself, not just because they were down three touchdowns, That's which is point, a little yeah. bit damning, you know, to be this late in the season and how productive the kid has been 
for you to feel like... Well, it's been three weeks in a row prior to this that he had thrown a pick six, um, and he just threw an interception early, you know, right before they went to Brissett. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, what matters is Hal here, bigger picture. This was not the game to... This was not a great impression to make. He'll have three more opportunities, presumably. Um, but this wasn't a great one. And the fact that Brissett, you know, the backup quarterback comes in, it can completely change everything. So I, I don't take it too literally. Like, because he did this, therefore he will do that going forward. But his throwing the ball down the field, being aggressive, um, led to McLaurin uh, getting a couple plays <laughs> deep. And, um, yeah, they, they haven't had that. They haven't had that type of play for for a while here. So yeah, how how goes here down the stretch is going to be huge. And um, you're right, that is sort of a tough endorsement for a coach to make. Um, the way you're interpreting, which I kind of agree with. Um, yeah, that is something that we'll have to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's it's a hard deal with him because I mean he's now up to he's taken 59 sacks. Some of it is he holds on to it too long, and it was really stunning. Uh, to see Brissett get rid of the ball and like throw with anticipation and see uh, just how many more starts like Howell has to have, even though Howell's a better player, uh, better talent at least than than Brissett. Um, but some of it's the accumulation of pressure and all the things that he has had to like make something out of nothing that um, it's influencing him now. Like it, there is a kind of a fatigue um, from having to deal with that and. I mean, he came into this game already over 500 pass attempts. Uh, and so there's a little bit of, of, uh, of malpractice there in development uh, and, and putting so much on the kid. And I, I, you might have diminishing returns the rest of the year. To think that you got to go and play um, just one of the most destructive defenses in the NFL next I I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Howell has his third straight game under 200 yards not just next the last three games Jets 49ers and Cowboys I know Cowboys looks yeah. like they got kind of yeah. blown up today but like in general they, they, they all rank very high so yeah it's going to be tough sledding for for Sam Howell and um it could go a long way by the way I, I do want to we're going to talk we're going to wrap this up talking about um kind of everything that happened in D.C. this past week with regards to the Wizards and Caps arena, but and how that relates to the Commanders. But I do want to ask you this with regards to how you are our, our official uh, Pac-10, Pac-12 correspondent, or is it now Pac-2? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so this year, you know, from where you are, you got to watch a lot of Michael Penix in Washington, Caleb Williams at USC, Bo Nix in Oregon. Those are going to be three of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Um, the question for Washington is going to, for the Commanders, is going to be, if they picking top five or somewhere high in the first round, do you stay with Sam Howe? Do you like the progress? Do you like the cheap contract? Or do you use that pick on one of these quarterbacks? And obviously the evaluation is beyond what we can discuss here. But to that end, like having seen those guys, do you think there's have you do you think there's enough juice with Howe to say I mean Caleb Williams means trading up most likely to number one, so that's a whole sort of other conversation. But do you see enough juice in those other guys? Or is it like, eh, I don't know, maybe, but you already have a young guy in how maybe just roll with that well it depends on who's going to be coaching him right and like um what kind of system that that you're running like if you've got um i think more of a, a gunslinger system um and you can like capitalize on his mobility and kind of move him um 
that would make a lot of sense to just roll with it. I think, I think, um, I look at the draft this way. Uh, there's three quarterbacks that if they are, are available to me, I'm taking. And that's Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels. If one of those three are available where you're picking, I think you got to do it. Uh, and uh, let's not forget, you know, because of the Montez sweat trade, you do have two seconds. And so if there's somebody that you really like, um, you can use one of those seconds and like something else to kind of move up in the first round, kind of like how, how you did when you got Montez sweat, right? Um, and also, like, depending on how you look at things, um, maybe they want even more cap space. And uh, the way Jonathan Allen has been talking, I start to wonder if you could get a two for Jonathan Allen uh, in this cycle, do you, would you rather have him off the books? Um, I don't know what the ramifications are of trading him at that point, but if it did clear up some space... Uh, and you could get another extra two in this draft in addition to, like, whatever it is, a two and a five. Would, would I want to do that if I'm a new GM? I might. Like, like well, there's some fundamental, I think, just locker room stuff that they're going to want to change because this team just – they don't have enough fight in them. And uh, I do I, – I think Jonathan Allen is a really good player. I think Deron Payne is a really good player. Uh, I think Terry McLaurin has been an underutilized player. Uh, but any of my salary guys, uh, if somebody's going to give me something high for them, I don't mind starting over because this is the only chance you can get away with starting over. Right. And it doesn't take long in the NFL. Right. And I think to your to this point, I think it's a really good one because it isn't just about saying, well, we have this talented player or this talented player. What is the vibe in the in the place? I think it's been better it's under Ron, at, at least in part because of everything that was going on outside the building with Dan Snyder. But at the same point, where is this going? And I do think you're right. The Wizards took too long with Bradley Beal to trade him from an asset perspective, but also they could not change what was happening internally when you had somebody who had been there for the long haul and the ownership was not willing to say, hey, we have to do things differently. They just allowed it the course to keep running because you had this guy there. Now without Beal, they can sort of start over and begin their, that build up and I think that's kind of what you're talking about here um, segue quickly to the Wizards caps while I was away Ted Leontis apparently he, he has, he's agreed an unsigned agreement with Virginia to move the to build to have a new stadium built and thus move the caps and Wizards there this affects the commanders in part because it would seemingly take Virginia out of the mix it's going to make DC feel I imagine very nervous about losing a lot of this stuff and have to be really aggressive and now you still have Maryland saying hey we still want you so what do we do um so all that said do you need to get that no okay um all that said what do you kind of make of everything that happened and what do you think it kind of means for the commanders <laughs> oh man I wish we, we need a whole other podcast to talk about this yes, right yes uh you're welcome to come back, but it's, I want to, you know, we'll do it now. I'm not sure that that deal is gonna go through, and really? I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, it isn't a ploy to get more out of what you want from DC, and we'll see how Bowser and her administration handles everything. Like what, what, 
what they value. Uh, but let's just, for, for the sake of argument right now, say that that's going to happen and the Caps and the Wizards are going to be in Potomac Yard. Um, I think it, it sets up, depending on how you look at it, the commanders could have some leverage there and that they really need to get the commanders you know, back in D.C., um, but you know, at the at the end of the day, like um, that, there's something still has to happen, right? Like, so there's even though it, there's the perception of leverage, like from our sports standpoint, they're still closing the deal. Um, but I think it it likely brings them to the table with a little more urgency to do it, because I think it would just be a great emotional boost for the city. Um, how you have to play all of these constituencies off of each other, but I think you do have a chance to negotiate earnestly if you're the commanders. Um, I honestly, like, I've always thought that that was going to get done after Daniel Snyder left. Sure. As long as, like, the new owner wasn't someone that he was just a skeezy dude. Uh, and I think it strengthens. I think it strengthens. Um, it, it strengthens the possibility, but what you need uh, is something more than just we're going to put an arena there. Like you're going to have to think about or a stadium there. Sorry, back at the RFK site, you're thinking about kind of as a developer, you know, the whole area there, what you can do, what you can't do, um, what would that would, would mean um, in the big picture for the city, uh, but. I think it's going to happen. Um, and Meaning I, you think that I actually think like, I think, I think it's, I think the trade is a net positive for the city. If you can pull it off. Cause I would, I would rather have a world-class stadium with an NFL tenant and the ability to attract international soccer and, uh, every event, um, Super Bowl, final fours, Taylor Swift, yes, whatever, all, yeah. all of it at, at a place that, they're excited to go to, um, so you know we'll we'll see how they play it. But I I would quickly try to like step into that void with some like, hey, like we're we're here to elevate the city, and we're about. Some people say they're about DC first. We're trying to be DC first. Yes. Whether he meant it or not, I'm taking that as a Ted Leonsis jab. Um, I'm not putting words in your mouth. Anyway, anything else we need to discuss? Uh, we know, you know, we can have you on more, but we don't get, we don't see you often. Anything else we need to discuss with this uh, whole situation, or you feel comfortable with your uh, the positions that you've made and you're good to go? I feel comfortable enough, enough for now. Um, it makes me really eager to, uh, you know, be back in the city and just kind of um, explore some of the dynamics and some things up close that I don't know. Uh, it was a little bit weird for me being displaced, but having really strong feelings about the Capitals and the Wizards not being at Capital One Arena. Like, that's that's just, it blows my mind. I feel like it's just an ideal place. Uh, the thing that, that gets me the most, you know, more than the Capitals, and it's no knock to the Capitals and their fans and anything, but I felt like D.C., you know, basketball being a city game with, um, the number of um, African American patrons who are prominently like in the lower bowl at Capital One Arena, 
you're going to change like your whole basketball vibe moving there. And, um, you know, those people uh, who go to Capital One, black or and otherwise, um, it's a small group like who's really passionate about it. But like it's a fun, it's a it's a fun atmosphere. It really feels like the city's game. And if you take it uh, to possibly to a clientele where it's going to be an even more sanitized environment, it just it just feels like like you're just putting on something to put on something. Um, and all, all of these shiny new arenas, um, the Warriors um, being one of them. Um, your atmosphere changes from something that's organic and really cool. And it's going to be really hard if, like, the team has no momentum, no passion, no championship history, no long playoff success, and then you're going to put them in somewhere that's just, just to make money. It feels like it could just be a library with really cool drinks. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's like, you know, being when, when you're around places – when, when you're around places that um, the city, you can't replace the city. The, the, that's just all there is to it. The city is the atmosphere is great. Um, you can you can weigh in. Do you want to weigh in on Hello. how? <laughs> that, that's, is this in my own standing room only? You you are. Oh my gosh! Hi. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is uh, the great Jordan Rodriguez who covers the Rams. We I'm were just di- coming over to give goodbye hugs, guys. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> did you, Did you have any uh, thoughts on watching? Uh, you, you were former Rod Rivera beat reporter. Do you have any thoughts on watching uh, this thing kind of go down? Every time he went for it on fourth down, I said riverboat out loud. Um. <laughs> You know, it's hard. It's hard. You think, you know, there's a new era coming in, and it's it's clear and apparent, and there's still, like, some, I think, some real talent on that team. So, you know, I think that from my perspective, this Rams roster, there was a lot of sort of chuckling about them externally. And internally, Sean McVay kept saying how much he believed in this group, even when he would get, like, weird looks in response to a roster that entered training camp with 44 rookies um, on on it and on their 90-man. And so now you're sort of starting to see all of the fruits of that effort. And so you kind of think about it from the perspective of a rebuild or maybe a partial rebuild coming and certainly coaching staff changes, things like that. And you think if there are the right guys there to build around. I think Terry McLaurin being a huge example of this, for sure. Um, you can see it start to happen quicker than maybe people on the outside thought it would. So that's my two cents. I got my two hugs. Look, this is why we needed optimism. I was like bringing this whole thing down. And you're like, well, look, it could I'm, be better. I'm such a glass half full person. Yes. And you know this about me. I know Jerry knows this about me. So. Yeah, my, my glass has a hole in it. So I understand. <laughs> that's why that's, that's, that's why we that's why we need uh, you here. Uh Pleasure to see you. Enjoy. Nice to see you guys. Thanks for letting me live shot crash your, your podcast. Of course. Bye. Enjoy, enjoy the playoffs. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, there you go. So she basically just said what we said. Like, you got to have a plan. Because even if you have 44 rookies on a 90-player roster, and people are going, it's not going to – What what is this? Here they are. They're back in the wild card mix. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to face the Rams in the playoffs between McVay, Stafford, Aaron Donald. Just that. I don't want to face that, but you gotta you gotta get. It's easier said than no, but you gotta get. You know, 
you got to have a plan. You got to get a core. And right now, it's hard to say that they have it. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you could get someone in here who knows offense, you do have receiving talent. And I, I'm, I'm assuming Samuel's out of the mix. Um, and rightfully so, but you still, you still have two legitimate starting NFL receivers in Dotson and McLaurin. Uh, you've got a starter caliber running back uh, in Brian Robinson, so you, you get a backup who, a nice compliment who can catch the ball. Get a damn tight end, finally, please. And then you can spend all of your really high leverage picks, um, a, a couple of them at least, once again on the offensive line. You know, um, and that becomes like I think the biggest challenge for them uh, if they don't land at one or two or whatever. Uh, let's say they land at seven. I think it could be a conversation um, between um, Jane Daniels, Drake May, um, and an offensive tackle. And this is where, like, these last three weeks are going to make it clear um, where you stand with Sam Howell, you know, having to go against really elite defenses here and really struggling. Um, can you turn it around and put together some good, solid performances? Um, and I, I would assume, like, everything that they're doing, they're going to have to revise a little bit to get the ball out of his hands quicker and um, to manipulate some things to create some big play opportunities. Uh, if you can do that against the Jets, against the Niners, against the Cowboys, although it might be like a diminished Cowboys team in that last game if, if they've sewn everything up, uh, that makes me feel a little bit differently about you. But if you look at it and you struggle these last three weeks and you say the last five weeks of the season, this guy wasn't even like backup caliber. Uh-oh. Uh, but I, I would assume the next people coming in would love, unless the quarterback is readily available that they believe is going to be a star, um, to do the functional thing. Like, it's a couple of really good offensive linemen in this draft who are going to be taken in the top ten. If you get your hands on that, uh, I think that's a good way to go. Kerry Brewer, your reading you is always a good way to go. Read him in the Washington Post. He wrote off of this game, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot more to go. He's got uh, Michigan-Alabama coming up here in a couple of weeks, so uh, stay on the Jerry Brewer train. Pleasure to see you as always, my guy. We'll talk soon. Same here, man. Take it easy. All right. Many thanks to Jerry Brewer for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Um, Commanders at the Jets next week. I'll be back in Ashburn this week for all the coverage there. Um, But that is it for now. Until next time.